engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5, AM 750, WSB. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Well, I was going to start with other news, but we suddenly have big news coming out of the state capitol today. There was a press conference organized by State Representative uh, David Clark, uh, and uh, with him was Derek Somerville, uh, who is a consultant here in Georgia, used to work with the FBI, and um, wow, he, he's got some—they've been doing the research— They've been doing detailed research about David Ralston and David Ralston's legislative leave and continuances. And in this press conference today, I'm reading now from uh, Derek Somerville. He's got a, a Facebook piece up today and says there were 1,091 continuances, 279 cases and counting, over 700 days of legislative leave since 2010, uh, being held in contempt of court and threatened with arrest in 2015, numerous criminal cases dropped by prosecutors, citing the constitutional right to a speedy trial, and on and on and on and on. Um, So the Atlanta Journal reported on 200 continuances and it appears there are more and i reached out to derek he's calling in now uh big news earlier today derek somerville welcome to wsb how are you i'm doing very well thank you it's an explosive day in the state capitol you have been doing some digging on david ralston well, to be perfectly frank, it hasn't been that difficult. The more you look, the more you find. <laughs> yeah, I bet so. Uh, kind of. Yeah, I, I just I was reading your your Facebook post here uh, with some of this data, but if you could just give the audience an overview of of what we know about David Ralston now. Yeah, absolutely. And as a little bit of context, this involves working through eight North Georgia counties in Gilmer, Fannin, Union, Pickens, Cherokee, Dawson. Towns and Lumpkin. So the reality is that these numbers are actually larger than I've been able to unsurface because I've not been to all of the counties where he's practiced law. But what I've come, what I've uh, discovered to this point, and what I've gone back through and, and verified and re-verified, is at this point I'm at 1,091 legislative continuances that he has requested or received. Um, I think, as you mentioned, that spanned 279 cases and and uh, amounts to over 700 days, so around 720 days, but I believe that number is actually higher where he was actually not in the practice of law. I think what, what was most stunning to me, though, is this became much more of, an, uh, of a numbers effort, um, and incidentally, over half of those legislative leave instances were not during the session, and they were not during a special session. Hmm. They, were, they were outside of the regular session. I think what was really stunning to me, Eric, was to, to start to read the, the massive amount of opposition from attorneys for individuals that were opposing to what Rostin was doing. And, and as you mentioned briefly there, and I don't think anybody knew about this, is the fact that he was held in contempt in 2015 by the courts for doing exactly this. And that uh, as part of that being held in contempt, he was told that if he didn't comply with the order within 10 days, he was going to be arrested. Wait, 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 wait. You're saying that that a judge held the Speaker of the House, David Ralston, in contempt of court for dragging out a trial? That's exactly what happened. So uh, this occurred in 2015, and I don't have the notes uh, specifically in front of me, but but what occurred effectively is for about two and a half years, and this is from a sworn affidavit from opposing counsel, uh, Speaker Ralston made no 
effort to respond to discovery requests. And I know you can you can build out on that for your audience. But so after futile attempts by this individual to try to get uh, responses to his his discovery, he ultimately appealed to the court. The court agreed and said, now, Mr. Ralston, we command you to respond to these individuals. Um, the Speaker of the House ignored that, went silent basically for two and a half years, and ultimately they uh, decided to hold him in contempt. So this was a court order from Judge Gunter um, in October 7th of 2015. And uh, it, it was powerful. I, one of the One of the comments that I might share, and there's a lot of lot of material here, but some of the comments that were used to by the opposing counsel to request this motion of contempt uh, were, were extremely, extremely powerful. And um, in fact, maybe for a later time, but, but ultimately, you know, the, the speaker left the judge with no recourse whatsoever. So in addition to one judge saying, you know, we're holding you in contempt for the willful, you know, dis, willfully disobeying these orders, there was another motion of contempt against Ralston that ultimately didn't produce an order. But this is a pattern of behavior that I witnessed across multiple cases. In 2011 alone, we, there were six cases I noticed um, and took note of and have copies of where opposing counsel went to the judges, basically threw their arms in the air and said, we need relief from this individual. We, we can't continue to move forward down this judicial pro or this, this system of justice if this one individual has the ability to dictate to everybody that he's simply not going to come to court. Well, and I think it's important for listeners here to clarify as well that Ralston's cases were not just criminal cases. There were also civil cases, and many of these are civil cases. I've had other people uh, discuss with me problems related to them in, in cases where Ralston was the lawyer dragging things out indefinitely, uh, and in particular in his home county having judges being far more cooperative to his efforts to drag things out. Well, I think, um, you know, there's some some just stunning examples of what you've just described that would not shock your listeners. But in one case where an attorney came, uh, made a motion for clarification, and, and she had also been on the, the receiving end of these delays. And finally, she appealed to the court and said to the court, I'd really like to understand what the point of legislative leave is. It feels like it's simply being used as a delay tactic to benefit his client and to hurt mine. And so this attorney sent a formal request to the to the judge where she said, quote unquote, um, uh, I, I, well, basically, I, I'd like you to explain this to me, right? Please, please inform us what the point of this uh, legislative leave law is for. That judge responded by recusing himself. And in that recusal, and I will read this verbatim, this is what he said. Uh, this is the words of Judge Roger Bradley. Um, and he stated the following. Speaker of the House of Representatives David Ralston, defendant's attorney, has been a friend of the undersigned judge for 25-plus years, as was his father, the late superior clerk of court of Gilmer County. For many years, Speaker Ralston's office was less than a half a block away from the undersigned's office. The undersigned and the speaker have appeared together as co-counsel and opposing counsel in numerous cases. So you can see the futility behind the efforts for these people that want justice, and they're looking at judges to mediate these issues that are admitting they have a 25-year relationship with the very person that they're seeking relief from. That, that's just incredible. Derek, i got to let you go there because we got to go check traffic. But thank you. Spur of the moment, I reached out to you and you were able to get on the phone. I sure appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks very much. That's Derek Somerville, uh, who has been uh, really leading the charge behind the scenes, collecting all the, the information based on the AJC story about the Speaker of the House and now 
has come forward today at a press conference at the state capitol with state representative david clark and just has amazing amounts of data showing just how big a problem this was in an abuse by the speaker now just to review here um i was speaking with derek somerville derek somerville has behind the scenes really he, he grabbed hold of this and you know he's been attacked by a number of people questioning his motivation and he just he cares deeply about Georgia, cares deeply about this issue, uh, and knows the impact of the federal system, just given his background with the Federal Bureau of Investigation and, and elsewhere. And he's come forward with a lot of data that, that supersedes, expands on, and gives a greater picture to what the AJC reported about Speaker David Ralston. David Ralston, if you have not heard about this, if if you were not keeping up on the story, during the legislative session, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported David Ralston, the Speaker of the House, was using a law that he himself helped change to extend legislative absences just for himself. Other members of the legislature weren't doing this, but David Ralston, uh, with this change in the law that he helped oversee, had essentially turned this into a business model for his his uh, law firm. And you had people uh, accused of crime saying that they paid the speaker money so that he would do these sorts of things. The speaker going to court and filing continuance after continuance after continuance to drag cases out so that they never actually went to trial. And the AJC found uh, something like 200 instances, I believe, of this happening. Well, Derek Somerville, researcher, uh, went and did the investigation of multiple counties in North Georgia, not just the speaker's home county of Gilmer County. And what he found is that the speaker, since 2010, had filed 1,091 continuances in 279 cases, over 700 days of legislative leave since 2010, was held in contempt of court by a judge and threatened with arrest in 2015, and had multiple criminal cases dropped by prosecutors citing the constitutional right to a speedy trial, and it goes on and on and on and on. One of the things Derek mentioned is that uh, one of the individual lawyers who was involved in, a, in the situation that led to the contempt of court case couldn't get the speaker to respond to discovery requests. In a lawsuit, what happens in, in a non-criminal case in particular, in, in a civil case, there's what's called the discovery period, and that is where both sides have to present all their witnesses and evidence for the other side to examine if they wanted to go to court. And so you can subpoena people for depositions and you can actually ask people questions. But before you get to that point, what you do is you send out two things. One is called a, an interrogatories and one is called request for production of documents. You send out the interrogatories and you ask questions such as name all of the people who were working on the day this happened. And then you do request for production of documents and provide any documentation submitted by those people you listed as having worked on that day. And you can object when you get these questions, you can object, say they're overly broad, they're too vague, they're too burdensome, but otherwise you got to provide the information. And what Derek Somerville is saying is that in one particular case, the speaker for two years didn't respond to discovery requests and finally had to have the judge threaten him. That, that is, that, that's unbelievable. Will the legislature, now that the legislature is out of session, now that everybody has had all of their legislation passed, will the state representatives, now that we have this information, will they finally stand up and say enough? Will they finally stand up and say the speaker's got to go? Will they finally stand up and say this is not right? Because you know and I know 2020 is coming. And the Democrats are going to make this an issue if the Republicans don't take some moral high ground on this.
Okay, guys, a quick timeout for this week's sponsor. And, you know, the, I get a script. When you do a live read, you get a script, and it gives you suggested talking points. And so this week, the sponsor is my butterfly pillow, and I appreciate it. And, you know, the script starts that not all of us sleep the same way. 63% of Americans sleep on their side. Are you one of them? And then talks about my butterfly pillow. Forget the script. I can do this one. Why can I do this one? Because I've been traveling with my butterfly pillow when I have to stay in hotels of late. Cause you know, hotel pillows just, they, they're like pancakes. I mean, they're really, really, really fluffy and you put your head on them and they, I mean, flat out pancakes. And I have stayed at a hotel recently where I know there was a bunch of road noise. And so one of the cool things about my butterfly pillow is that in addition to being adjustable, I mean, you can adjust the height on this thing, but it also has a Bluetooth night owl speaker. So you can actually stream from your phone to the pillow and listen to music or podcast or I use the call map when I'm in a hotel and listen to it on my butterfly pillow. So you get a soft pillow, but it doesn't flatten out like a pancake and you can adjust it. So it, it supports your neck. Your, your neck doesn't get cricked. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a great pillow. It is thoughtfully designed clearly by people who have had these problems. And you know, as the script says, it, it keeps your neck and spine in alignment throughout the night. Even if you switch sides, it really does. Really am a fan of this pillow and listeners to my show can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code Eric at checkout and you'll get my butterfly pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental United States. Go to mybutterflypillow.com and enter code Eric at checkout, save $30 and get free shipping. That's mybutterflypillow.com. Check out code Eric. And the great thing about it is you can take it with you to these hotels that have these horrible, horrible, fluffy pillows that flatten out like pancakes. You can use my butterfly pillow and get a good night's sleep. The president is coming to Atlanta next week to talk about uh, drugs and drug abuse. Traffic is going to be a mess here. Uh, you're going to want to stay with WSB throughout next week as the president comes, as the Secret Service is in town and the police are getting ready for the president's arrival. It will be kind of a messy thing um, just because that's the nature of presidential visits. Happened with Barack Obama as well. I need to uh, – this is the second day in a row – where I'm having to correct a story that is out in the media about Lucy McBath. The, the first story was that she signed for a package at her home in Tennessee, uh, showing that she's a resident there. That was actually her mother who signed for the package, uh, contrary to a lot of the media reports. The second one is some media reports circulating that Lucy McBath took money from Ilhan Omar, the anti-Semite um, terrorist apologizing representative from Minnesota, but that she didn't disclose it. Uh, and the reason being is Ilhan Omar on her disclosure showed she gave checks to a ton of members of Congress. Uh, but Lucy McBath's disclosures did not show the $2,000 check. So obviously she was trying to hide it. That's not what happened. Uh, she did not deposit the check. She returned it. Uh, yeah, so Lucy McBath never, never put Ilhan Omar's check in her checking account. She did not accept it, which is smart, uh, considering Omar's remarks and the number of, uh, Jewish voters in McBath's district. You just need to know that.
The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. It is Eric Erickson, Atlanta's Evening News. Uh, there are a couple stories. Let me uh, see if I can get through a couple of these as quickly as I can uh, so we can get to a big story. Uh, Robert Kraft, the spa video is coming out. That is the well, Some of you have kids in your car, so we'll be... Well, I'll just say that the Robert Kraft undercover video of what was happening in the massage parlor is expected to come out, no pun intended. I don't understand why we need that video to come out. Uh, we know what happened. So why do we need to see that? Why does anybody need to see that? I, I, I don't know. Uh, and yet it is going to be released. Also, I find this one deeply ironic when the, or funny, I shouldn't say ironic, just very funny. The left has become very, very invested in the fact that it's a bunch of religious nutters who are refusing to vaccinate their kids and that if only they were as enlightened as progressives, then people would overcome this, except they have a problem now. Robert Kennedy Jr. is suing New York City. New York City has imposed a mandatory vaccination rule and is prohibiting any child who isn't vaccinated from being in a public school. Robert Kennedy is suing New York City. Not exactly religious right guy there. He is suing New York City over this issue. Uh, now, the other issue, and I, let me pull up, Jake Tapper actually put out the series of tweets, and I, it's worth me reading them. This is actually pretty big news today out of the Department of Justice, and it relates to the president's visit here in Atlanta next week. The president coming into Atlanta next week uh, to discuss uh, drug abuse and uh, efforts to fight drug abuse. He was invited down to Atlanta to participate in this. He'll be in the city tying up traffic, no doubt, because of the presidential motorcade. Nonetheless, um, according to Jake Tapper, the Department of Justice has charged 60 people in five states for alleged participation in the illegal prescribing and distributing of opioids and other dangerous narcotics and for health care fraud schemes. Uh, it includes 31 doctors, seven pharmacists, and eight nurse practitioners. In Tennessee, a doctor who branded himself the Rock Doc allegedly prescribed powerful and dangerous combinations of opioids and benzodiazepines. I have no idea. Sometimes in exchange for, well, with kids in the car, adult favors. In Alabama... A doctor recruited prostitutes and other young women with whom he had relations to become patients at his clinic, while simultaneously allowing them and their associates to abuse illicit drugs at his house. Pretty, just amazing, the Department of Justice uh, going after, again, it's 60 people in five states, uh, a crackdown for alleged participation in the illegal prescribing and distribution of opioids and other dangerous narcotics and for healthcare fraud schemes. This comes on the heels of the DOJ uh, having the investigation against the folks who were bribing colleges to get in. Felicity Huffman, the actress married to William H. Macy, the prosecutors are seeking jail time for her. Lori Laughlin, is she not? Is Aunt Becky not the most clueless person in the country? She's refused to plead guilty. She says she did nothing wrong bribing people or allegedly bribing people to get her daughter into college. She says she, she absolutely did nothing wrong. 
Um, she told her daughter to shut up about it and not talk about it, apparently, and thinks she did nothing wrong, uh, that th- this was something they were entitled to, this entitlement mentality. Uh, so she's probably going to jail uh, if they find her guilty, which I think the evidence is pretty cre- – I mean, they've got all the undercover stuff. They've got people now willing to uh, turn state's evidence on these people. It's not a good look for her or her husband for that matter, but they'll be dealt with by the Justice Department and by the courts of law. Now, I, I everything that's wrong with modern society can probably be summed up in this tweet. The Library Journal. It's the Library Views, News, and Book Reviews from uh, the Library Journal, which is, a, I guess, a publication for librarians around the country. Let me read you this tweet. Library collections continue to promote and proliferate whiteness with their very existence and the fact that they are physically taking up space in our libraries. Seriously. Um... Whiteness is apparently, if you believe in property rights, you believe in whiteness. Let me just, I, I got to read part of this. If you look at any United States libraries collection, especially those in higher education institutions, most of the collections are written by white dudes writing about white ideas, white things or ideas, people and things they stole from people of color and then claimed as white property with all the rights to use and enjoyment of that uh, described by some academic, uh, when most of our collections filled with these so-called with this so-called knowledge, it continues to validate only white voices and perspectives and erases the voices of people of color. Collections are representations of what libraries deem to be authoritative knowledge, and as we know, this field and educational institutions historically and currently ha- has been uh, sites of whiteness. Library collections continue to promote and proliferate whiteness with their very existence and the fact that they are physically taking up space in our libraries. They are paid for using money that was usually ill-gotten and at the cost of black and brown lives via the prison industrial complex, the spoils of war, etc. Libraries filled with mostly white collections indicate that we don't care about what people of color think. We don't care to hear from people of color themselves. We don't consider people of color to be scholars. We don't think, seriously, I mean, it goes on and on and on from here. This is everything summed up. Everything summed up uh, with the problem. It's just, it's rather crazy, folks. It's really, this is, this is crazy. Uh, So should we abandon Gray's Anatomy, the famous book documenting the anatomy of the human body because its author was a white person? Is that not considered knowledge? What, What about the encyclopedia? Are we not allowed to have an encyclopedia or, or a, a book of, of from Isaac Newton? Are we not allowed to have Isaac Newton's works in a library because of him being a white person? Really, what this is about is not knowledge. It's not about whiteness. It's not about property. It's about stupidity. It's about people not wanting to put in the effort to learn And so they scream that learning is racist. So the knowledge in the libraries is racist, and we should not have that knowledge in the libraries 
because the people who don't want to read those books have decided that they were written by white people and therefore the knowledge is invalid, not because the knowledge is invalid or the white people had a white perspective, but because the people who don't want to read the books are dumb and lazy. They don't want to read it because they're dumb and lazy. And they've decided that, oh, it's, it's racist if you say this. No, they don't want to put in the work. They don't want to put in the work. They don't want to put in the time. They don't want to put in the study. They don't want to put in the effort. And if you tell them to put in the study, the time, and the effort, they say, well, we can't because of white power. White power has blocked us from being able to do this. You know, no one denies there has been racism. No one denies there are racist people. But no one denies that the, the, the libraries that supposedly are shutting out black people, actually, Maya Angelou, for example, love her books, love her poetry. Go find them in the library. You'll find whole displays encouraging people. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about academic knowledge. Academic knowledge. Should we not read Albert Einstein because he was white? Should we not read Leonardo da Vinci because he was Italian? He was from Western Europe. He was therefore white. Should we not engage with this? This is the argument they are making, that we should not engage with ideas because the idea comes from someone who is white. In other words, we should not engage with things because of race. And that in and of itself is racist. This is why I think, by the way, that this whole uh, movement within some Christian churches uh, to elevate racial justice as a cause is incompatible with Christianity in practice. Maybe maybe not in theory, but in practice, because what so many people say is we should stop listening to these people because they're white and start listening to these people because they're black. But in Christianity, we learn that there's no uh, Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no male, there's no female. We're all equal before God, so all voices should be equal. So it's legitimate to say, hey, we should listen to more of these people because we haven't listened to them in the past. But to say to the other people, hey, you got to shut up now. That's what the left wants. They want the racial grievances. It's like Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams wants racial grievance stirred up in the state to get her elected. Some amazing audio from her when we come back. So tomorrow, the Mueller report drops. There's going to be a press conference at 930 in the morning. We are going to give it all day coverage here. I've reached out to some friends of the White House to see if they have anyone who wants to come on tomorrow uh, to talk about the Mueller report. Tomorrow, I'm going to be on 4 to 7. When we come back, uh, Stacey Abrams sat down with uh, Russ Spencer at Fox 5 and had some interesting things to say. And I want to talk about that, but more importantly... There is some legislation, uh, a, a resolution or ordinance pending in Peachtree City that you should all be concerned about, even if you don't live in Peachtree City, because it's a dangerous trend. And for those of you who are in Peachtree City, there's a, a city council meeting at 6.30 p.m. tomorrow night. Uh, and I hope you will attend the Peachtree City uh, City Council tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. to tell the city council and the county manager what idiots they are. Um, they essentially are considering a piece of legislation, of local legislation, that would allow the city government, would actually require the city government, to pay the legal services of any elected or appointed or employed person in Peachtree City who wants to sue anyone who says anything not nice about them on social media. 
No, I, I'm not making this up. No, this, this is for real. Uh, the legislation, and I want to spend some time on this in the next hour in addition to the Stacey Abrams stuff. Uh, Peachtree City is actually considering uh, local legislation that would have the city government pay, use taxpayer dollars to pay a city employee's legal costs or a city elected official's legal costs if they want to sue anyone who says anything not nice about them on TV, radio, newspaper, or social media. In fact, the city manager says no one has the right to call him corrupt. Well, yeah, actually they do. It's their First Amendment right. Uh, they get to do it. You are the city manager, a public employee, and, and it sounds like you're supporting this legislation. So I'm going to talk about it. I really, I just, this, you, we got to talk about this. It's becoming a national story, by the way. It is all over the national press today, and there's a city council meeting in Peace Street City tomorrow night at 630. But first... The Stacey Abrams remarks, oh, someone asked her the Hillary Clinton question, finally. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB Atlanta's evening news. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB talk. Uh, we got to get to the Peachtree City story. It's actually becoming a national story this evening. Even as I'm talking, I've got social media open, seeing a number of national reporters buzzing about it. But the other story that is uh, taking on national form and not to her credit is Stacey Abrams. She sat down with Russ Spencer at, at Fox 5 and he asked her a question I've been hoping someone would ask her. And that is that she got more votes than Hillary Clinton in 2018, compared to what Hillary Clinton got statewide in 2016, Stacey Abrams got more votes. And, and he asked her that, and listen to how she immediately shifts the subject. 85,000 more votes than Hillary Clinton got during the presidential campaign in Georgia in 2016. So whatever voter suppression there was, a lot of your voters were not suppressed. Uh, do you have any second thoughts about not having given a full-throated concession to Brian Kemp? So we have to disconnect those two. Increased voter participation does not diminish voter suppression. Wait, 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 wait. How? She just, she says that as a statement of fact, but it's not true. So the number of voters, the number of black voters, the black voter participation rate increased in Georgia. And she says, oh, we, we have to disconnect those two. Pay no attention to that fact. The capacity of voters in the state of Georgia is 6 million votes. Okay, so the capacity of voters. What is the capacity of voters? The capacity of voters is the total number of people who could vote in Georgia. Keep in mind, when you go get your driver's license, you get registered to vote. And so what Stacey Abrams said is the capacity is 6 million people, but not all registered voters vote. So the fact that 3.8 million showed up does not mean that thousands and hundreds of thousands more weren't suppressed. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so we got 6 million people in Georgia who could vote. None of them ever show up. They never also show up. But three and a half million of them showed up. And so 
There were some who were surprised. How do we know? She's not giving anybody any names. She just wants us to believe it. By faith. This is a religious argument. By faith, they were denied the vote. By faith, they showed up and could not vote. By faith, they went to vote and they were said no. I mean, this is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. So she got more votes in Georgia than Hillary Clinton got in 2016. The black voter participation rate increased dramatically. In fact, the white voter participation rate went down. So maybe it was the white voters who were surprised. This is just, this is a, a willful lie. A willful lie on her part to refuse to concede. And it's a very disingenuous argument to correlate the two. Wait, wait, wait. No, it's not because it's it's the same pool of people. Listen, if you have the same people turned out in 2016 that turned out in 2018, plus brand new people who turned out in 2018, it's a can you go show? This, this is why this is not a disingenuous argument at all. Can she show? That any of the people who voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016 were denied the ability to vote this time. Who were they? Who? I want names, Stacey. I want names. And she can't do that. Nor can she show that there were people who showed up and said, oh, no, you're not allowed to vote here. Um, because those she can show had legitimate excuses, but, 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 but wait, 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 it goes on more than that. What is real is that we had 1.5 million purge. What is it? Wait, 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 1.5 million purge. Do you know why there were 1.5 million people purged from the voter rolls? Because they had not voted in a decade or they had died or they had moved out of state. And that that was done in 2017. And you know why it was done in 2017? Because a federal court would not allow it to happen in 2016 or 2015 or 2014. So you had three years of cleaning up voter rolls. So all the people who had died in those three years had to go. All the people who had gone to jail and could no longer vote had to go. All the people who had moved out of the state had to go. All the people who hadn't voted in a decade had to go. That's why that happened. Now listen to the next one. Was that we had 214 precincts shut down. Wait, 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 wait. Do you know who makes the decision to shut down precincts? Not the Secretary of State. Local county governments. Brian Kemp didn't shut down a single precinct. Local counties, most of them controlled by which party? The Democrats. Shut them down. Under his leadership. Under his leadership. He didn't actually do it. Notice she says under his leadership. He was secretary of state. But Brian Kemp has no control over closing precincts. That's a local county issue. And it was Democratic counties that did it. She's just making stuff up to stir the racial grievance pot, which is probably why her polling has cratered in Georgia. I mean, it is fascinating to me that she's still stuck on this when presented the data by a credible journalist that she actually got more votes than Hillary Clinton in 2016. She's saying that she lost because the Kemp campaign targeted people. You know, this is kind of like saying the Russians stole the election, is it not? 
she gets more votes than Hillary Clinton. There's an increase in black voter participation. There's a decrease in white voter participation. And the only way she can explain she lost, that, oh, he stole it. He, he, he suppressed the vote. He prevented people from showing up. So they couldn't, I mean, she, she wants us to believe the Republicans are incompetent and geniuses at the same time. They were incompetent in that the black voter participation rate somehow increased. She got more than Hillary Clinton as well with the overall vote. She didn't just get more black voters. She got more white voters than Hillary Clinton as well. But the, the, the Kim campaign were also geniuses in that they were able to specifically target enough people to prohibit them from participating to deny them. the. Oh my goodness gracious. This makes no sense. It's not meant to make sense, though. It, it's it's clearly not meant to make sense. It is meant to stir the racial pot. It is meant to keep people divided along racial lines. She intends to keep people fired up and nurse a grievance. Now, interestingly enough, she also said in the interview that she wants to run for president. She thinks she has the skill set to run for president. She thinks she has the management skills to run for president. She has the intellect to run for president. She's just not sure she wants to run for president, although her skill set sure is a, a, an executive. She's playing her card so badly here. She thinks she's helping herself. But again, the AJC polling, and I don't even know that the AJC polling is, is right, but they've got a consistent data set now on the same model from January to now to show that her popularity has cratered in Georgia. Her unfavorable rating has skyrocketed in Georgia. Uh, this is This is really striking to me that she's going down this road. And she continues to peddle in myths. Now, I don't expect a journalist to actually know this, but I do because I was an elections lawyer. Um... And I know that local polling precincts are presided over by the secretary of, or not, are not presided over by the secretary of state. Local precincts are presided over by the local boards of election and the local boards of election are controlled by the counties. So for her to say that 200 some odd precincts were closed uh, while Brian under Brian Kemp's leadership, Brian Kemp did not do it. The Secretary of State did not do it. The Secretary of State's office did not do it. The state of Georgia did not do it. The counties did it. And the number one reason why the counties did it is rural parts of the state trying to save money. Rural parts of the state controlled by Democrats, no less. Rural parts of the state controlled by Democrats needing to save money, can't raise taxes, don't have the tax base, needed to save money, and so they shut down polling precincts. They consolidated polling precincts. And frankly, given the population decline in some of those, those counties, they needed to do it. They had to do it. And yet Stacey Abrams is trying to use this against Brian Kemp. It is completely disingenuous. It is also a lie. And it is just another example of Stacey Abrams trying to nurse racial grievances and keep black people mad at white people in the state of Georgia trying to get herself ahead. That's not the sort of leader we need. This is a state that has long said it was too busy to hate, particularly Atlanta, too busy to hate. And yet Stacey Abrams needs black voters to hate white officials who are Republicans in order to advance her career. That's not the sort of person you want to put in leadership. Okay, guys, a quick timeout for this week's sponsor. And, you know, the, I get a script. When you do a live read, you get a script and it gives you suggested talking points. And so this week, the sponsor is my butterfly pillow and I appreciate it. And, you know, the script starts that not all of us sleep the same way. 63% of Americans sleep on their side. Are you one of them? And then talks about my butterfly pillow. Forget the script. I can do this one. Why can I do this one? Because I've been traveling with my butterfly pillow.
when I have to stay in hotels of late. Because, you know, hotel pillows, just they, they're they like pancakes. I mean, they're really, really, really fluffy, and you put your head on them, and they I mean, flat-out pancakes. And I have stayed at a hotel recently where I know there was a bunch of road noise. And so one of the cool things about my butterfly pillow is that in addition to being adjustable, I mean, you can adjust the height on this thing, but it also has a Bluetooth night owl speaker. So you can actually stream from your phone to the pillow and listen to music or podcast or I use the call map when I'm in a hotel and listen to it on my butterfly pillow. So you get a soft pillow, but it doesn't flatten out like a pancake and you can adjust it. So it, it supports your neck. Your, your neck doesn't get cricked. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a great pillow. It is thoughtfully designed clearly by people who have had these problems. And you know, as the script says, it, it keeps your neck and spine in alignment throughout the night. Even if you switch sides, it really does really am a fan of this pillow and listeners to my show can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code Eric at checkout and you'll get my butterfly pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental United States. Go to mybutterflypillow.com and enter code Eric at checkout, save $30 and get free shipping. That's mybutterflypillow.com. Check out code Eric. And the great thing about it is you can take it with you to these hotels that have these horrible, horrible, fluffy pillows that flatten out like pancakes. You can use my butterfly pillow and get a good night's sleep. I don't know if you know it or not, um, but Georgia has an Immigration Enforcement Review Board. Uh, The Georgia Immigration Enforcement Review Board is a piece of legislation that was passed a number of years ago. Um, It was signed... When did it become law? Um, Six years. So Nathan Deal signed it into law. And the board was composed of appointees of the governor, lieutenant governor, and the speaker of the house. And it was designed to enforce, uh, hold state and local officials accountable if they did not comply with immigration law. Uh, it, it was originally, uh, yeah, well, we don't need to get into all that history, but basically, I, I guess it, it was eight years ago. Um, yeah, it, it was right after Nathan Deal got elected to office, I believe. And the legislature has filed legislation to kill the commission or kill the Immigration Enforcement Review Board. Essentially, what the Immigration Enforcement Review Board could do was if state and local officials were not complying with state or federal immigration law, you could file a complaint with this board, it would investigate it and could potentially impose penalties on the officials who were not doing their job. Uh, There were 18 complaints. Hang on a second. Let me pull up this AJC story. Um, 20 complaints. There were 20 complaints in the first six years of existence. All but one of them came from the same person. So only one person filed uh, 19 complaints. It was an anti-illegal uh, immigration activist. And only one of those 20 complaints ever resulted in a fine. And for the past couple of years, nobody's even known that the board was still around because it hasn't met. There haven't been complaints. And so they want to wind down the board. Yes, please get rid of it. They never should have had it to begin with. Uh, it is nice that they're getting rid of it. And the reason it's nice that they're getting rid of it is because the board doesn't do anything. So you're putting people on a board, you're giving them a title, and they're not doing anything. That is a bureaucracy waiting to turn against the people. 
So please, please get rid of this. Please, Governor, Governor Kemp, please sign this legislation and suspend this board. We do not need as a state or frankly, as the federal government, we do not need agencies, boards and commissions to continue existing long past their purposes have expired. There have only been 20 complaints since uh, this board got started. Oh, 19 of the 20 were dismissed. Only one of them had a fine imposed. They haven't met in a couple of years. Even existing members of the board say they don't see that there's a reason to keep it around. And uh, there are some people who have carried over their term on the board who looks like they may not should have. Uh, let's just like get rid of it. There's no reason to keep this thing around. Uh, it could eventually be used badly. Um, by other politicians in the future if you keep it around, particularly when it's doing nothing right now. So get rid of it, sign the law, and good for the legislature willing to kill parts of the bureaucracy that no longer serve a purpose. When we come back, Peachtree City wants to sue you. Yeah, you. Listening right now, they want to sue you. I would like to call out uh, Peachtree City's uh, city manager, John Rory. John Rory is defending a ridiculous piece of legislation to sue you. Uh, this is y'all. This is just stupid. And and the council members of Peachtree City. Well, one thing about John Rory: if you encounter John Rory, you should tell him he's an idiot for even saying anything nice about this. Uh, but you should also point out to him that uh, it certainly does look like the city councilmen in Peachtree City are letting him be the one to take the slings and arrows from people and and hiding behind him. Now, what is this about? It is making national news, and it should. Um, People should go into Peachtree City and just find every member of the city council and ridicule them for this. In fact, let's see here. While I'm here um, multitasking, we should find out who are the Peachtree City city councilmen. Peachtree, Peach, come on, Google. Peachtree City City Council. We we need to find out these people. Name and shame the stupidity going on in Peachtree City. Of all places, John Rory is the city manager of Peachtree City. Um, oh my goodness gracious. Here, here's the here's the po- if if this resolution passed, let me read this. This is the um the, the citizen newspaper. It's also made the AJC and national news now. Uh, the new city policy would allow city officials who believe a person or firm has defamed them to bring a defamation lawsuit against a person or group making the statements with the city footing the legal costs, including attorney's fees. This is not so basically, if you say something that some city official in Peachtree City doesn't like, they're not only going to sue you, they're going to have the, the city government pay the legal costs. That's that's actually what they want to do. Oh my goodness gracious! So who do we have? Uh, Vanessa Fleisch is the mayor. Uh, you got uh, Mike King is a council member there. Uh, holy moly, this is crazy. Yep, uh, you got Vanessa Fleisch. You got let's see, uh, Phil Preber is there. You got uh, Kevin Madden is there. You got Terry Ernst is there. 
Uh, great googly moogly people. This is just embarrassing. Um, this is genuinely embarrassing for Peachtree City that they would do something like this, uh, that they would allow people to be sued and have the city pay for the lawsuit. This just allows city officials to bully you. Now, the AJC has picked up on this. <laughs> the opening of this, bad ideas are apparently like measles, especially contagious in populations that have neglected their vaccines or basic civics lessons. Uh, so, you know, so we had the idiot in Henry County who was in the state legislature who wanted a state panel to discipline journalists who said not nice things about him. And but by the way, that guy left. He was a, a total lackey for the speaker, which was just something. But now the Citizen newspaper in Peachtree City is pointing out the Peachtree City Council on Thursday is going to take up the ordinance to allow city officials and employees at the city's expense to sue citizens who say nice, not nice things about them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, radio, TV, or the newspaper. Legal counsel shall be selected by the defamed individual requesting representation and be reimbursed by the city at a rate not to exceed the approved hourly rate of the city attorney plus 20%. Further, in the event that a defamation suit is settled in the city's favor, the city shall seek reimbursement for the actual legal costs incurred. So now who could benefit from this? It's not just the mayor and city council who could benefit from this. So here's the kicker. It's not just the mayor. It's not just the city manager. It's not just the city council. It's the trash truck driver, the guy who fills potholes. All of them, any of them could sue anyone who said anything bad about them. And it, what's so crazy about it as well is... By my reading of this legislation, it's arguably, I mean, let, let me just read you the, the actual legislation so you have it here, so, so you have a sense of it. Um, the city of Peachtree City shall fund legal action on the part of any elected official, appointed official, or employee with exception of officials of authorities. So that means if you're on the Peachtree City Industrial Authority, you can't use this law which shall be responsible for their respective words, employees, blah, 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 who have been defamed in a public media outlet, TV, newspaper, social media, and other outlet, or otherwise disseminated to the public, so as to present a valid claim of defamation under Georgia law. Legal counsel shall be selected, blah, 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 blah. Now, here's the kicker. It's not even about their jobs. So if you go out and you say something bad about the mayor of Peachtree City, the mayor of Peachtree City, the, the name of the mayor is Vanessa, Vanessa Fleisch. She's the mayor of Peachtree City. You go out and you say something not nice about the mayor, and it has nothing to do with her being mayor. Under the terms of this resolution, she could still sue you and have Peachtree City pay for it. Y'all, this is just stupid. I mean, this is what this is. This is some stupid person decided to do this. Some stupid person decided to do this. And, and we've got uh, John Rory, who is the, um, he's the city council, or he's the city, what, manager. 
is out there defending this. And I feel bad for the guy because it really sounds like he's having to defend it because it was some idiot on city council came up with it. But contacted Monday, city manager John Rory said the idea behind the resolution is a response to instances of unfounded defamation, slander, or libel stemming from ethics violations. But as he noted, Suit could be brought by the city against an individual for such comments that did not rise to the level of a formal ethics violation accusation. Asked if the revision would open the door for the city to sue anyone with the publicly stated negative opinion, uh, Rory said that an issue would be triggered by those unfounded instances of defamation. It's a brave new world. It's not about people criticizing. It's about being defamed. People think they have the luxury of saying false things about people. No one has the right to say, I am corrupt or attack me publicly. We absolutely do. Why? Because we're taxpayers who pay your salary. And if you don't like it, go work in the private sector. Man, y'all, I, I just, I'm, I'm rereading this article. This again, this is from the citizen. Uh, this is from the citizen down in, in Peachtree City. And this quote again, the guy's name is uh, John Rory. He's the city manager. And I just got to read this quote again. People think <clears throat> they have the luxury of saying false things about people. No one has the right to say I or anyone working or volunteering for the city am corrupt and attack me publicly. Yes, actually they do. It's legal. The Supreme Court has said so. If you are a public official, the standard for for saying def defaming things about you is virtually impossible. I mean, you can go out there and sort of accusing them flat out of, of being something terrible. You can say they're corrupt. You can attack the people who are in public service. You can do so. You may not think it's right, and it's not right, by the way. It's never right to lie about someone. It's never right to lie about John Rory. But if you are a citizen and you think the person is corrupt, you have every right to say you think they're corrupt. You do. And it's it's not defamation. It's your right as a citizen to say something like that and to say it out loud as a citizen. And you may be wrong. The person may not be corrupt, but you have the right to say it. The Supreme Court has said so. This is not only a legal issue, but I mean, this is an issue of bullying. I mean, get this, this sense of entitlement that no one has the right to say, I am corrupt and attack me publicly. Yes, they darn well do have the right to do that. They have that right to do it under the federal constitution's first amendment. If you don't like it, go work in the private sector. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. And same for the mayor and the city council. If the mayor and city council of Peachtree City pass this, everyone should go call them corrupt and attack them publicly. Every single person in the country should call them corrupt and attack them publicly because they will be if they are using taxpayer dollars to sue citizens for saying not nice things about them. It is appalling, and I hope they reject it. And all of you should show up. Every single citizen in the state of Georgia should show up at Peachtree City tomorrow night uh, at 6.30 p.m. in City Hall to discuss this issue with the city council. Show up and intimidate your city officials, not by being mean, but just by being present. City officials never like it when you show up when there are controversial things like this. So if you're in the Peachtree City area tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m., show up at City Hall and make sure they know you're paying attention to what they want to do. 
and I'll see you guys tomorrow. And I'll remind you helpfully again tomorrow to show up.